Hey, my name is Jess, and I guess I'm just figuring out how podcasting works, as I also figure out how my brain works. I'm a former cancer researcher and brewery logistics manager, artist, relationship ruiner, self-abandoner, inner defeatist, autoimmune nightmare, current psychology student, health roach, and accidental podcaster slash community leader. But um, I am not a professional. I cannot therapize you. I am not a life coach. And anything that isn't explicitly stated research is coming from experiential learning, personal experimentation, and my busy brain box making sense of the senseless. I mean, having a whole support community where I can pull other traumatized motherfuckers is a pretty good resource too. But I need to say, at the end of the day, enter at your own trauma brain risk. This is a feel-good show in the sense that it will reframe the most painful aspects of your life, but that requires feeling the pain to mend the wound. You know what I'm saying? We cover hard topics, difficult talks will happen, so don't overlap them with your darkest days. And um, not to be a total asshole, but I definitely am a total asshole. So don't mistake this half-bitter, half-hopeful old punk for someone who's able to help people who don't want to help themselves. Traumatized motherfuckers and all associated parties, that's me, are not responsible for your trauma recovery. All advice or education is accepted at the listener's personal discretion. Consult your therapist. Your triggers, progress, and emotions are not managed by the show, nor is it meant to be a replacement for any kind of trauma therapy. But I'm really fucking glad you're here. We all are. Because we are not damaged, doomed, or dead yet. But if you're ready to start living a life that you actually want, you might be one of us. You might be a real traumatized motherfucker. My name is Jess, and I definitely am. What up, motherfuckers? It's your girl Jess here. Uh, First, I just want to say that I read some reviews the other day of the podcast on, I don't know, Apple Podcasts, whatever the fuck is on my phone, and I'm crying over whoever said that my (laughs) semi-monotone voice actually was a very good descriptor for how they felt all the time. (laughs) So understand that uh, if you hear that, Uh, It's a pretty good signifier of where I'm at in my life. If I sound like I'm half dead and not really present, I probably am. So just wanted to tell you that that gave me a real fucking giggle. And I'm glad that my negative mental state when I was recording that particular podcast that they were referring to uh, somehow added to the experience for them. I'm actually doing my best not to sound like there's a gun being held to my head these days. So um, maybe I'm not making the right choices if that was helpful for somebody. Anyways, 
Today, I just wanted to talk a bit about workplaces and trauma, and this is a big fucking topic. I think I could talk about this for hours or days, and I probably will at some point when I start getting these interview podcasts rolling. If you have something to say about workplaces and trauma, hey, I've got a new spot on the website, which I designed so people can record their own audio recordings. You can just do it on your computer with a regular set of headphones and then submit the audio recording to me. And if you give me permission, if you want me to, I would love to share different people's experiences on the podcast. Stop hearing my own voice all the time. Start hearing other people talking about their accounts of things. Um, I thought this was a better way to do it than trying to do formal interviews because, well, we are traumatized motherfuckers. I think a lot of us don't want to sign up for the pressure of sitting down and uh, trying to discuss what we've been through without having the option to kind of filter it and think about it a bit. It's really intimidating and it's difficult to come up with the words. It really is. So I understand that that would be a challenging thing to ask for anybody. I mean, it's a challenging thing to ask even for myself, like the thought of sitting down with the social pressure of interviewing somebody about extremely personal life experiences and what they're going through. That's challenging for me. Sounds uncomfortable for everybody. Sounds terror inducing for the other party when you probably haven't been doing this like I have been already. So, if you want to work through a few recordings and actually have the ability to filter out what you're saying and then submit it, head over to the website t-mfrs.com and I changed the menu a little bit so if you hover over the podcast link there will be a contribute page and then I have a few various project ideas there that you can submit your recording to. And there's also kind of just a like a la carte interview one. So if there's anything you want to talk about, like your workplace experience or just what you've been through in your life, you can submit it in that project. But fuck, if you have something else to say, submit it there too. That's fine. Alternatively, if you really don't want your actual voice on the podcast, you know I understand that. I've been pretty open and honest that I hate hearing my own voice. I don't listen to my own podcasts, so hopefully they're not too terrible. Sorry if they are. And I understand why you wouldn't want to put that pressure on yourself, because it just introduces a lot of extra anxiety and self-hating ammo. So in that case, just email me. Um, I have all of those same projects on the contribute page linked with uh, options to just write in your response and then I will record it for you. I get it. Okay, all of that new business aside and my plea for new contributions pushed to the back of the to-do list until next time. Let's talk about mental health in the workplace, the role of your early childhood experiences. So this all started because I came across an article that just lightly solidified what I had been thinking for a while now. Let's jump in. 
So does anyone else out there have trouble with work stress and triggering work environments, both physical and social? Yeah, fucking holler. So for me, it's actually been just over three months since I quit my last super triggering and toxic job. And holy shit, I feel so much better not reporting in for the daily abuse, you guys. How much better? Well, uh, it looks like I've anti-aged myself by about 10 years. I've lost several pounds. I've reduced my drinking by about 90%. And I quit smoking cigarettes the same day that I quit my job. So that says a lot. (laughs) To be fair, my workplace included a culture of tribalism, unnecessary ambiguity, sexual harassment, coworker alcoholism, and other untreated mental health disorders, gaslighting, an entirely male environment, rampant favoritism and nepotism, and frequently slammed doors slash thrown objects in the midst of temper tantrums. So, (laughs) you can imagine. For years, I've wondered, nevertheless, if somehow I'm just not cut out or tough enough to work a regular 9-to-5 job. I have felt like my work environments have repeatedly been too chaotic and triggering for me to have a functional life outside of being a work perfectionist. I do great for my work tasks. It's the rest of my life that fucking falls apart. And I've known that my complex trauma was somehow related to this overwhelming, freezing, dissociative effect that I felt in a bad workplace. So hey, what do you know? I found an article that just so happens to lend merit to my theories on the negative effects of unhealthy work environments on trauma sufferers. I mean, it seems like a no-brainer. Like, fucking, of course, complex trauma affects work performance. Why wouldn't it? Honestly, sometimes I just need someone else's words as proof for my stupid inner critic to stop telling me that things are all my fault. How about you? So quickly, this is not my article, but I'm going to read off a super pertinent one for a lot of us. And I have the source for you if you want to check into it on your own. This will be in a blog post, so feel free to hop over and read that article that's linked if you want to for yourself. But here it is. So adverse childhood experiences, known as ACEs, are powerful. ACEs are traumatic or stressful events that occur in a person's life before the age of 18, but many people who have experienced ACEs in childhood can carry the results and effects from those events long into adulthood, including the workplace. How do ACEs potentially impact the mental or physical health of you and your teammates? How can mental health affect employees? Poor mental health and stress can negative affect employees in a number of ways. Job performance and productivity, engagement with one's work, communication with coworkers, and physical capability and daily functioning. Mental health in the workplace is important, according to Jessica Crunkleton, with a whole list of credentials. Good for her. Without mental health, there is no health, she said. We have to have it. 
when everyone is not taking good care of themselves, that can affect the entire workplace. We have to have mental health. It is vitally important. People with higher ACEs scores or an increased number of traumatic events early in life may see incidents in different perspectives than others. This can impact workplace interactions, Crunkleton said. For example, a situation that happens may not be as serious to one employee than the next because of their past and history, she said. Some employees with a higher ACEs score may also be less likely to trust others in this environment. Crunkleton also noted that more issues, like conflict, can occur overall with people who have experienced multiple ACEs, both in the workplace and outside of work. Adaptation, anxiety, and impact are just a few things that can be caused from ACEs, and many times people are not aware of it, Crunkleton said. Mental health warning signs. According to the National Alliance of Mental Illness, common signs of mental illness in adults and adolescents can include the following. Excessive worrying or fear, feeling excessively sad or low, confused thinking or problems concentrating and learning, extreme mood changes, including uncontrollable highs or feelings of euphoria, prolonged or strong feelings of irritability or anger, avoiding friends and social activities, difficulty understanding or relating to other people, changes in sleeping habits or feeling tired and low energy, changes in eating habits, changes in sex drive, difficulty perceiving reality, inability to perceive changes in one's own feelings, behavior, or personality, abuse of multiple substances, multiple physical ailments without obvious causes, such as headaches, stomach aches, vague and ongoing aches and pains, thinking about suicide, inability to carry out daily activities or handle daily problems and stress, and intense fear of weight gain or concern with appearance. So that list just explained my entire life. How about you guys? Changes in behavior is a good indicator of a problem, she said. For example, if an employee starts to become late often, misses work, has a major change in mood or appearance, these are important to pay attention to. That also describes my experience. How to manage mental health at work. Mental health is important and recognizing if you have a disorder will help you in the long run. The key to treatment and is to not have a stigma about mental health. The workplace can be a key location for activities designed to improve well-being among adults. Workplace well wellness programs can identify those at risk and connect them to treatment and put in place supports to help people reduce and manage stress. It is vital to have awareness of mental health as well as maintaining a healthy life by eating healthily and exercising regularly. To be the best you and for your mental health, take time off when you need it. You have to take care of yourself, Crunkleton said. If there is a conflict at work, talk it out. Don't let it escalate. Be transparent with your manager or supervisor to receive the proper accommodations. Crunkleton emphasized how important mental health is. Mental health has to be a priority, both at home and at work. 
So putting aside the number of errors that are in this writing, uh, sorry, I didn't write it. I think there are a lot of good pointers in here, at least as far as being relatable and describing the experience of working in an unhealthy place. I think that the <laughs> takeaway points on how to manage your mental health at work are a bit idealistic over being realistic. Yeah, it would be great if workplaces had these wellness programs that cared a lot about mental health. That would be awesome. Yeah, it would be great if you could have honest discussions with your manager to receive accommodations for your mental health problems. Yeah, it would be really cool if you could just take time off of work when you need it. But I think that's not reality for most of us. It definitely hasn't been the reality for any instances in my life. I have tried all of those tactics and they have not gone well or panned out to uh, cause any lasting changes that improved the environment for me. So, uh, nice in theory, but I think we're still not quite there yet. <laughs> so I just wanted to talk a bit more about trauma and the workplace. Because in my experience, old trauma presents in the workplace following a lot of similar stimuli. Ambiguity, social disapproval, unpredictability, low transparency, poor communication, rapid changes, bullying, and unclear expectations definitely strike up my trauma responses regardless of the actual workplace. Unfortunately, I think that these are relatively common characteristics of poorly managed organizations, and it seems like I have yet to find a well-run one. The hierarchy of employees in many workplaces creates this perceived, or very real, power imbalance, with the folks at the top calling the shots, but not necessarily having to answer for them, and meanwhile, the folks at the bottom scrambling to keep up with rapidly changing and obtuse plans, while also being on the line for any potential mistakes. So in both of my prior professional careers, for example, both as a lab supervisor and researcher and as a craft beer logistics manager, I found myself in a position that was drastically affected by the actions of basically everyone around me. They didn't have to provide logical plans or defined guidelines or accurate or timely information, but I was expected to carry out their whimsical demands. So in general, I was always waiting for disaster and anticipating blame when their harebrained ideas eventually fell through. I know that this is a similar story for a lot of us low to mid-level employees and managers. You're so important to the operation, they say, while never giving us the tools we need to confidently do the job, while pointing the finger our direction when an undisclosed detail becomes a bigger problem, and while blatantly playing favorites through widely discrepant expectations and allowances for different employees. Yeah. In my experiences, I have been expected to liaise between various departments and superiors in order to find the information that's required to complete the jobs they chaotically throw at me. So there's never been well thought out plans or directions 
There have been very few honest conversations about expectations, processes, or upcoming changes. It's always just kind of been a crapshoot of what's changing today without any prior warning, and no one has to answer for their mistakes except me when they inevitably trickle down and then become my problem. Thought you had a plan for your day? No, not anymore, because we just changed the entire business model for the foreseeable future. Could be forever, could be back to the same thing last week. Did you work ahead to get these projects completed for the next six months? Well, do it again, because we told you the wrong information from the get-go. Your coworkers are going to write down wrong or, or, or incomplete information in their daily jobs, and is it a problem that you just need to figure it out in the aftermath? And also, please explain why these numbers are wrong. <laughs> right. So not only are other humans often unreliable and inconsiderate, but they seem to be relatively unaccountable in these positions, at least compared to the consequences that I faced. What the fuck happens to a traumatized brain when it's always expecting something to be altered or to fall apart? What's the consequence for your mental health when your livelihood is on the line for events that are outside of your control? And how does someone with complex trauma functionally navigate an environment that's filled with chaotic plans, interpersonal drama, favoritism, and social punishment? Oh, how the trauma brain goes haywire. <laughs> For a lot of us, these are shared characteristics to our childhood homes and early social experiences. For a lot of us, the environmental and sexual abuse from our childhood and adult lives is echoed through the office. For a lot of us, uncertainty and opacity are threats to our personal safety. We've learned that it's always dangerous to make a mistake, that we have to be responsible for ourselves and everyone, <laughs> that social exile is always just one wrong word away, and that our security can be torn away at the drop of a hat. This is why complex trauma affects our daily work lives. It's not because we're overly sensitive. It's not because we're incapable of doing great things. It is not because we are lazy, rigid, or unaccountable. It's because we're overly accountable. It's because we've always had to be responsible because we thrive when we have some semblance of control in our worlds, because we've learned to always be on the lookout, to expect the worst, and to be punished when more important humans are even minorly inconvenienced. While we can very easily beat ourselves up over our abundant work stress that inevitably flows into every kind of life stress, I think the bigger question is, how can organizations continue to operate under such daft pretenses? Traumatized or not, the effects of devoting your life to an institution that can't even value your daily operations enough to provide fair and transparent treatment is mental health challenging. You really don't need a history of abuse and neglect to be negatively impacted by chaos and biased social treatment. So maybe I'm sensitive to my work environments. Maybe I struggle to overcome the politics and interpersonal challenges that seem to inevitably come with working among other messy humans. 
And maybe I'm unskilled in compartmentalizing my work stress from my outlook on life. But with all of these organizational challenges, mimicking the conditions that formed my unstable perspective of the world in the first place, who the fuck can really blame my trauma brain for throwing out danger signals all the time? My employer is my provider. My coworkers are like my kin. My survival depends on my social acceptance. When tribalism, chaos, and financial uncertainty are running the business, how can a traumatized motherfucker expect to simultaneously run their own life? You can't. Or, again, at least that's been my work experience so far. Plus, I just have to throw in a few more questions from my previous job. How is a traumatized motherfucker going to function when there are pretty universally triggering stimuli like slamming doors and flying file folders in their daily work environment? When they're told that the guy at the top wants to fire you, not because of your performance or anything that you can actually do differently, he really just doesn't like you. And in fact, the only nice thing that he ever says to you is about your appearance. Or when there's such a dysfunctional work culture that it's actually permissible to lose the company tens of thousands of dollars because of repeated hangovers. Hmm, yeah. For me, clearly the challenge in working has never been the work itself. You give me a task and it will be done correctly and before you ask for it to be completed, forever onward. I love working. I love problem solving. I love being busy. I love helping. I love the fulfillment of accomplishing. The difficult part has always been the social challenges of my jobs. The organizational structure, the middle school gossip, the toxic coworkers, the shifting responsibilities, the poor planning, the unbounded expectations. I am a hyper-responsible, crazy vigilant, extremely motivated employee, but I am harshly negatively impacted by the disempowerment, sexism, and fear-mongering that characterize our workplaces. These days, well, I'm happy to report that I work as an independent contractor for a few small businesses, and I'm doing much better. Away from the drama and insecurity of an organizational hierarchy with firm dependence on fellow coworkers, yeah, my brain is much happier. I love having control over my work and over my schedule. I appreciate the independence from rapidly shifting social strata among all the other employees. As an independent writer, I can plan my days, I can complete my work one time rather than redoing it based on changing information infinite times. I can stop worrying about social punishments and financial threats. I can let down my guard without any wandering eyes and creepy comments. I can keep a routine. I can keep my somewhat well-managed mental illness away from the untreated conditions of others. And you know these are better work characteristics for any motherfucker. Even without a steady salary, a 401k, or health insurance these days, I'm doing a lot fucking better since the day that I quit. Alright guys, this is just a real quick 
conversation about work environments because like I said, there is a lot to say. I would love to hear your take on navigating work with complex trauma, complicating everything. Hop on over to t-mfrs.com if you want to hit up the contribute page and let me know what you've noticed, what you've been through, what you've learned, and how you actually deal with it. Also, if you want to jump into the Discord community or just to check out some other blog posts, uh, there's kind of a lot there. So traumatizedmotherfuckers.com, t-mfrs.com, and I will talk to you guys again soon. Later, motherfuckers. And I still believe that We're not that hopeless We're not as fucked as you think in short moments We can't do anything The fucking joke is We're winning when you blink in short moments Lousy with victory